Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes humanity holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them siblings, he says, I will declare your name to my siblings in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his siblings in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered. When he was tempted, he was able to help those who were being tempted. I was uh, five years old when Luke Skywalker took his X-Wing fighter down and fired the direct hit that triggered the chain reaction that blew up the Death Star and made Star Wars my all-time favorite movie. Nothing in the five years before that matched it. But three years later, Empire Strikes Back appeared poised to assume that title special effects, the plot twists. But then all of a sudden the, the credits rolled up the, rolled up the screen. And I thought, wait, how, how can that be? Han Solo is still frozen in carbonite. And, and Darth Vader is Luke's, what? No, I couldn't have heard that right. Can't be, you can't end the movie this way. But they did. The emphasis within the book of Hebrews, the Sermon of Hebrews, suggests that its audience is having a similar experience, not in an empire galaxy far, far away, but in an empire in this one, on this planet. In their case, the problem isn't that the credits have end credits have started to roll, it's the fact that the end credits have not started to roll. The long-awaited king had come died, risen, and ascended by the power of the Spirit. They had experienced signs testifying to his reign. It seemed like it was time to wrap things up, roll the credits, bring this world to its 
happy ever after ending. But it doesn't happen. The story continues to unfold and not in the direction they expected. Almost as if the king wasn't in control. As if their God wasn't the storyteller. Tensions between Rome and Israel are growing. Things are looking bad now and the future looks worse. Now the sermon that we know is the letter of the Hebrews does not deny what the readers are experiencing. It makes no attempt to highlight a bright side to what's happening and the threats that are looming on the horizon. Like, you know, telling my eight-year-old self, hey, well, at least Luke's now met his dad. No, the troubles are real. But the preacher of Hebrews assures his readers that God does, in fact, remain the storyteller. And in our reading, he sort of reframes Psalm 8, what might otherwise be read as sort of a psalm celebrating uh, 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 humanity's unique standing within the created order. The, the, the preacher takes this psalm and presents it as a bit of unfulfilled promise. God puts all things under humanity's feet, says the psalmist. And to be under the feet means to be under the authority. And there are ways in which we might say, yes, that is in fact true. You know, while other creatures uh, have to adapt to their environment, humans can adapt their environment. The environment turned colder this week. I turned on the furnace, so I wasn't any colder. That's just what humans do. Right? We control our environment. On the other hand, there are ways in which we might say, Psalm, it isn't true. It is a bit of unfulfilled promise. Because in fact, even our efforts to manipulate, exploit, and control our environment have resulted in creating a climate that is more and more out of control. Droughts, wildfires, sea level rise, world risks becoming uninhabitable because of our attempts to control it. In that sense, we can affirm what the preacher says. We do not see everything in subjection to humans. I mean, it, not, it, even if we move from a more global to a more local scale, I mean, I was talking to a friend who oversees mental health services for a school district in a nearby county. What she had to say was grim. Listening to her, I felt like not only are we not on the far side of this pandemic, we have yet to feel the full repercussions of it. I mean, teachers are expected to get kids caught up, but there, there are kids entering second and third grade with only sort of a vague memory of how school even works. They're having to start from scratch. And the percentage of kids in high school who cut themselves to medicate their anxiety, she's talking 40, 50 percent. The number who vape and smoke weed on a regular basis. She's talking about the, the suspicion that, that the amount of child abuse is underreported. The number of quality teachers taking jobs in other fields or retiring early, leaving their classrooms to subs who just pass out worksheets and try to keep kids quiet. 
Yeah, we all needed to stay home to keep this virus under control, under our feet, to use the language of the psalmist. But other things got out of control in the process. So we can identify with the audience of this sermon. The Hebrews referred to in the book's title. The world does feel a bit out of control. We can feel like a little unsure where this story is heading. And again, the preacher doesn't disagree. He confirms that the world as it is does not appear under control, but he says, we do see Jesus. The promise of Psalm 8 finds fulfillment in him. In Jesus, we see one who fully embodies human potential, one whose authority preserves and nurtures life. And that is where the preacher wants us to keep our focus, on Jesus. It's the story that's being told in and through Jesus that we can find the, pro- the plot line of everything else. According to the preacher, we see in Jesus one who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It's easy to forget what a sort of radical and strange statement this is. After all, in this effort to highlight the glory and honor of, of this Jesus, the preacher refers to his suffering and death. He goes so far as to claim that, his, that the glory and honor result from suffering and death. Nothing about his suffering and death was intended to have that result. There is a reason the Romans propped crosses up on a landfill outside of Jerusalem. It was their way of pronouncing someone human garbage. You know, the church is around for about a thousand years before artists actually depict uh, what it might actually have been like. The earliest renderings of the crucifixion tend to present Jesus much in the way they presented pagan deities. Jesus looks like the god Mars or Jupiter, his body muscular, his face serene, even as his arms are outstretched. It's like it's, it's, it's too shameful, too painful to present the reality of that suffering and still protect glory and honor. But for the preacher... Holding these things together is not a problem. On the contrary, holding together glory and honor, suffering and death is the way we see Jesus. It is the way in which the story unfolds to its ultimate conclusion. You know, we might think of that someone who fulfills the promise of, her, of our humanity is someone who is somehow immune to the chaos and mess of life. But it isn't. That's not what we see when we see Jesus. He experiences it. To use the words of the preacher, he tastes it. 
chaos and mess are digested into him. And because of, the, uh, because of this, they are under his feet. Because of this, there is glory and honor. It's difficult to hold those things together. Maybe we can't. Not in our own minds. But we know, we need to know that Jesus can, that Jesus did, that he still does. You know, uh, I was reminded this week of an incident that took place uh, a little less than three years ago. My daughter, Allison, overslept and didn't make it to church and then called me at church to blame me for it. So I stepped out of the service, had a little phone call that did not go well. Uh, So neither did the conversation go well when I returned home. Tempers flared, there was a bit of shouting, and Allison had enough, declared she was going to walk back to her mom's. And, and that is a short drive, our house to mom's, but it's a long walk down streets that aren't friendly to pedestrian traffic. So, oh no, she wasn't going to walk back to her mom's. Oh yes, she was, she said, as she stormed out the front door and ran up the sidewalk. You know, if a toddler makes a break for it, it's a no-brainer. Run them down, scoop them up, bring them back from the house. When a teenager does it, you know, there's some optics you've got to consider. You don't want to do anything that might cause the neighbors to get involved and take sides. So you can't just go running after them. First of all, there is a chance they can outrun you at this point and just leave you panting in the street. Of course, let's say the old man still got a little bit of juice in him, and he can catch, catch up. Well, then what? You know, drag the kid home? No, nope, can't do either of those things. So, I, but I hoofed it out the door, not in an effort to catch her, or even to appear to be trying to catch her. I just needed to get close enough to talk, but not so close as to spook her and start her running again. And I managed to do that but my talking wasn't getting anywhere. So by the time we left our subdivision, we were walking in silence, me about 25 feet behind her. Get to the entrance to our subdivision and then she turned left, which is, you know, that's the right direction. But at that moment I realized that is also the very wrong direction because by Total coincidence. I happened to marry someone who lived two blocks from my former church. And to get there, at the entrance of our subdivision, you just got to take a left. Just got to follow Allison. And I looked at my watch. I realized their service was over. So I tried to talk to Allie again, apologizing for having lost my cool. Saying I, I shouldn't have shouted, I'm sorry. But she kept walking. And she realized, well, uh, rather than just following along the road, she could cut through the parking lot. That would make it quicker. Cut through the parking lot where a lot of people were leaving church, coming out to their cars. You know, I tried to make it look like, oh, a little Sunday stroll. Uh, Like, you know, that's going to make sense where you got this 
kid whose face is all red and mad and I'm 25 feet behind her. It doesn't look like a Sunday stroll. But we made it through the parking lot without me having to do much more than just sort of smile and wave. So I can now again concentrate on trying to encourage Allie to rethink this walk. But, but then about two blocks from the church, this minivan passes by us and pulls off on the side of the road. Doors open. It's former friends. Dad gets out. Two daughters get out, run up and say hi to Allison. Dad says, you guys need some help? No. It's something we need to, it's just something we need to work out. I'm sorry, what? Just something we need to work out. Thanks, thanks. And so he calls his daughters back into the car and they leave. I was not fulfilling my creational mandate. Nothing was under my feet but the gravel along the side of the road. Forget about creational authority. I'd lost basic dignity. The world just seemed out of control. I felt my own suffering. And I felt Allison's too. I called out and I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take you to your mom's. Just, just come back. She stopped and turned around and was okay with taking an alternate route back to the house. You know, I don't remember that walk much. Uh, I don't remember the drive home. I'm not telling this story because this whole awkward scene had some nice conclusion. There was no big breakthrough. On the other hand, I'm not telling this story as some sort of passive-aggressive cry for help. You know, uh, we got past this. Uh, I only, it only came to mind because of a conversation I had earlier this week. I tell it because it's a human story. It's a story, it's another one of these stories where the conclusion has yet to be seen. But I feel confident if, hey, if Luke and Darth Vader can work it out, we're going to be just fine. We're going to work this thing out. But we are, you know, it's a work in progress. Psalm 8 is a lovely psalm, but the preacher's right. I don't see it in myself or in those I love or in the church, or in our nation, or the world as a whole. All things are not under our feet. Things feel a little out of control. To claim that we are a little lower than angels feels less like a compliment to us humans and more like an insult to the angels. The good news is, according to the preacher, that is not a problem. In fact, this is the point. For it is clear he did not come to help angels, says the preacher, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his siblings in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he's able to help those who are being tested. You know, the preacher opens the sermon by describing Jesus as the exact imprint of God's very being who sustains all things by his powerful word. But he is also like his brothers and sisters in every respect. 
His story is a very human story. He knows our vulnerability because he was vulnerable. He knows our struggle because he struggled. He knows our suffering because he suffered. He even knows that great unknown toward which all our stories are heading. Death, because he died and rose again and put that under his feet. Our faithful high priest knew even that so that he could so that we could be assured that when the credits roll on our lives there will be glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.